Welcome to Friends in Prison. I'm Claire Aronson, and I have 29 friends in prison. Hi, and thanks for joining us today. I want to talk about prison topics in the news. We have talked before about Casey White. Uh, He was a prisoner who escaped, and the reason we were talking about that is because all of the prisons around the uh, one that he escapes from, and also, of course, the exact prison that he escapes from, they all go into lockdown. So after all of these COVID lockdowns, people who are not at all related to the escape are suffering the consequences because their prison goes into lockdown. So just to recap a little bit about Casey White, he was in prison and he started a personal relationship with Vicki White, who at one point he calls her his wife, but they were not related. They had never gotten married. They just coincidentally had the same last name. She decides that she's going to help him to escape from prison. And they at least had some plan. They told people that she was going to escort him to a court case. Now, she was a, a senior officer there at the prison. So no one questioned the fact that, you know, who is going with you? They just assumed somebody was going with her. It's protocol for two guards to take a prisoner, but um, she just went ahead and walked him out to the patrol car. She had left her personal vehicle in a parking lot and had asked a coworker, Hey, can you drive me into work? My, I locked my keys in my car. So there was at least that much planning. She takes Casey in the patrol car to this parking lot, trades the patrol car for her personal vehicle, drives to another place where she has arranged to purchase a car for cash and starts to drive away in that vehicle. Every time that they thought the authorities were onto them, they would change into a new vehicle. But this was national news. Their pictures were all over the place. It was very difficult to maneuver under the radar. So they did get caught. Vicky decided as the authorities were closing in on them that she would take her own life. And now Casey is being charged with felony murder. Before all of this started, he was serving a 75-year sentence. And he actually was Um, going to court for another trial, a murder trial. I believe that he said, I have some information about this murder. Maybe even I did it because he wanted to be transferred to a place where Vicky could help him escape. So he was never truthfully confessing to that crime. He was only confessing so he could be moved to a place where she worked and she would be able to get him out. Um, Casey and Vicky were on the run for just 11 days before the police caught up with them, which is good. Um, it's nice that that part of it is resolved and, and Casey is back in custody. Officials are now going through 949 phone calls between the two of them. Some of these calls Vicky made while she was working at another prison. They would talk sometimes four times a day. I don't actually talk on the phone with my pen pals. I thought those kinds of calls were expensive. And I have always known that they were recorded and monitored. But in this particular case, they were not monitored. And I I don't believe that all phone calls from prison are monitored. They are all recorded. 
And then if something suspicious is going on, they will put in the man hours to monitor those phone calls. So right now, authorities are going through all of these recordings between Casey and Vicki White trying to find, hey, where did we drop the ball? How could we have known that they were making escape plans? So far, there are no discussions of escape plans on the phone. So maybe they were smart enough to know that they were being recorded and having a conversation over the phone about how you're going to escape from prison probably isn't a good idea. It is a good idea to understand that anything that you are talking about over a prison line is going to be recorded and it could be admissible if someone is confessing to someone or admitting to something. I, when I'm writing back and forth with people, I just don't have any conversations about their cases. If they want to tell me something, um, you know, it would be my advice that you not commit this into writing as they are going to monitor or they have the access to monitor your mail, your email, and your phone calls before those things leave the prison. But um, I think that that is something obvious. I think it's something obvious that people forget is what I think the problem is, that people just start talking on the phone or writing in letters and they forget that these things are monitored and they can be held against you. So um, let's talk about another case. Ashley Banks is a pregnant 23-year-old woman. She was held in jail for three months in an effort to protect her unborn baby. So listen to this. Um, there's a there's something called special bond conditions. They are designed to protect children. Ashley admitted to smoking marijuana on the day that she found out that she was pregnant, six weeks pregnant, in order to be released from jail, she has to complete a rehabilitation program and pay a $10,000 fine. There are rehabilitation programs where she's being held, which is the Etowah County Jail. But here's the thing. Ashley doesn't qualify for them because she won't admit to having a drug problem. Miss Banks doesn't have a drug problem. She doesn't want to lie and say that she does have one. There is no evidence that she has a drug problem. Her lawyer said that investigators are advising her to admit to a drug problem she doesn't have just so that she can make bail. So this is something that I think is a problem. I don't want to put people in a position where we are asking them to lie in order to um, achieve this end, I don't. I don't like the idea that hey, you're not going to make bail if you don't admit to your crime, or you're not going to make um, parole. Sorry, if you don't, if, if you don't admit to your crime and say that you are sorry, if you are still professing your innocence, but you have served your time, you have had good behavior behind bars. Isn't it cruel to say part of the requirements in order to make parole are admitting to something you're saying you didn't do? So, of course, in that particular case, there is something um, called the, oh, Alfred, maybe I should look it up, um, where you can say, hey, you have the proof that I have committed this crime or you have enough proof to put me behind bars, but I'm not going to admit guilt. Is it called an Alfred plea? I'm not going to admit guilt, but I've served the time and now we can say, hey, you can save face. You have commit, you know, convicted someone of this crime, but you can also let me out of prison. So 
in the case with Miss Banks, we have someone who they say they're trying to protect children, and in this case, protect her unborn fetus, and we don't want her to get out of prison and go and do drugs. But what is the answer? Keeping her in prison? Personally, I think in this particular case, you could let her qualify for this rehab program without admitting that she has a drug problem. Hey, I'll sit through your classes. I will answer the questions. I will, you know, pass the course and then I'll be able to go home on home arrest. So there is a doctor, Dr. Suffren, who is testifying in an affidavit about this particular case. It should be obvious. Prison is not the best place for a pregnant woman. It's uncomfortable. In Ashley Banks's case, there were two women assigned to a single bunk. So she says that she was sleeping on the floor for more than a month, uh, could have been as much as three months. And this was supposed to be better for her unborn child. The diet in jail is not going to be as good as you could get outside. The hygiene is not as good. There are pests. There are people who are coming in and out. So there's no guarantee. You know, um, it's not like we treat people for head lice before they come into the jail. So there is definitely more of a risk of hygiene problems and pest problems in jail than you would have in a private residence. Incarcerated women suffer from miscarriages at a rate of 20%. You compare that to the average population in America, that's only 10%. I will say uh, I'm always suspicious of these types of statistics because you are not looking at a singular person and saying she has a higher percentage rate of miscarriage when she is in jail versus when she is out of jail. There is a different kind of population of people in jail. Some of those people are addicted to drugs. Some of those people are violent. Some of those people didn't have a good diet before they went into prison. Some of those people are going to have other health problems as compared to your average population outside of prison. But I'll admit, it does not look like being in jail is the right place or a healthier place for a pregnant woman. In this particular case, a judge did finally release Ashley on August 25th this summer. There are two other women in Alabama who were arrested just after giving birth. I'm curious if the babies were tested in the hospital, and that's kind of what sparked an investigation into these two women. There was an article from the Daily Mail it says that the women tested positive for drugs after giving birth. Brittany Pickard's child tested positive for marijuana, and now she is being held without bail. Hallie Burns tested positive for methamphetamines and Subutex. I guess that that is a prescription medication for pregnant women who are addicted to opioids. Now, her lawyer says that she took a cold medicine, and that's why she tested positive for meth. I wonder... I think in the case of Ashley Banks, where the only evidence that they have against her is the is her own admittance that she smoked marijuana one day. I don't know how much prison time you can get for smoking marijuana one day, even if it is while you are pregnant, but I just can't imagine it is that much time. And they held her for three months while they were trying to investigate that particular accusation. These other two women who are being held, again, in an effort to protect their children, 
they are facing up to 99 years in prison. So it seems to me that there must be some other accusations besides testing positive for marijuana and uh, positive for methamphetamines and a prescription medication. But at least in those cases, if you are found guilty, that time would be taken off of your sentence. Of course, the problem is in America, you are innocent until proven guilty, right? Maybe. Um, I, I just want to throw this in for a second. I have a pen pal, Tay, who is in solitary confinement right now because he received a letter that had a sticky substance on it. The prison officials told him that they had tested it. It came back positive for methamphetamines and he was going to be held in solitary confinement while they sent the letter to the FBI for further testing. So basically his opinion is that none of this is true. Um, A, because the only people he corresponds with are me and a couple of religious organizations. None of us are going to be sending him anything with a sticky substance on it to begin with, or but certainly not for that substance to be methamphetamines. And I will tell you, I am super paranoid about my letters to my pen pals because a lot of times they will just slap a sticker on it and say, there is something on this envelope and we're sending it back to you. They don't test it. They don't admonish my pen pal for it. Um, but if your letter gets wet in the rain, sometimes they could return it back to you. Uh, I won't even put my letters on the kitchen counter because I just want to make sure, Hey, if there's any kind of oil, any kind of dirt, any kind of, you know, food residue, anything like that, I just don't want it to be you know, to come back on me or to, in in my case, most of the time, the only thing I'm afraid of is that the letter won't be delivered, that it'll be my correspondence is delayed. But now I find out that it's not as though they found out that Tay had requested somebody try and smuggle something in. What if somebody had tried, excuse me, tried to send something to him unsolicited? He's still going to get punished for it. And now he's being punished while they do further testing on it. Um, I think, of course, if they really did send the letter to the FBI, that it's going to come back and say that it is some benign substance and he'll be let out of solitary confinement. But I am sending some extra letters and going to ask him if there's a book or something like that that I can send to him because solitary confinement can just be excruciating. Another hot topic in the news has been transgender inmates. And there have been a lot of legal developments in the last couple of years. On September 26th in 2020, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed um, SB 132. That requires state prison or state prisons to house inmates based on their stated gender identity. There's just a few exceptions. The law also mandates that correction officers use the inmates preferred pronouns when interacting with transgender prisoners. Um, April 6th, 2021, California Corrections Department, um, in six, there were six months uh, between this and when that SB 132 was enacted. They said 1,129 inmates have self-identified as transgender, non-binary, and intersex. The overwhelming majority are biological men who identify as transgender women and requested to be housed in women's facilities. So I would like to know, since you can give me the exact number, 1,129 are transgender, how many of them are transgender women? 
where are the transgender men who are requesting being moved into male facilities? Now, of course, I think it's obvious the reason that there are not transgender men who are asking to be moved is because they feel safer in a women's prison. Transgender women also feel safer in a women's prison. So what is the problem? The problem is that uh, there are places in Canada, for instance, where they say, look, there's no way that you can objectively know what someone's gender identity is. You have to take them at their word. I disagree. Some of the objective things you can look at are how long the person has lived uh, as that particular gender. Have they legally changed their name? Have they taken any medical or surgical steps towards confirming their gender identity? Uh, not that any of one, any one of those things is necessary, but I think you can look at them as a whole to say, has this person decided today, I'm a biological male, I would feel safer in a women's prison, or I could more easily be a predator if you let me into a women's prison. So I'm going to say that this is how I identify. You need to look at the full case. Um, in November 20, November 21st of 2021, there was a women's advocacy group, and they sued the state of California to overturn SB 132. They had two plaintiffs claiming that they had been sexually assaulted by trans or non-binary inmates in women's facilities. So that is exactly what... Um, that consequence, that unforeseen or perhaps seen, foreseen by some people consequence of putting people into the women's facilities who don't belong there. In January of 2022, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, she announced a policy that would allow prisoners in the state to be housed with persons of the gender that is consistent with such person's gender identity. Uh, in March of 2022, uh, there was a report from NBC News. Let's see, 4,890 transgender people are incarcerated in state prisons across the country, and uh, only 15 are housed in facilities that match their gender identity. Um, 15 sounds low for the amount of news stories that we've heard about um, poor outcomes of people being housed in facilities that match their gender identity. April of 2022, New Jersey enacted a policy requiring the state to house inmates based on their gender identity. And according to the New York Post, two prisoners in a state women's facility are pregnant as a result of consensual sexual relationships with trans transgender inmates. Um, later in April of 2022, an Illinois federal judge ordered the U.S. Bureau of Prisons to provide gender-affirming surgery to a prisoner who was incarcerated in a Florida facility. Hmm. I wonder if the prisoner was from Illinois. Um, as Because if you are a federal prisoner, you can be moved all around the country. The reason that I think it's important to talk about this, not just because I do have two transgender pen pals, one transgender male and one transgender female. They are both being housed in the prison that matches their biological gender. The, I think what I feel would be ideal is for there to be a transgender unit. Now, part of the problem with that is the money 
You know, who's going to pay to move people into this unit? Who's going to pay to create or to maintain such a unit if we don't have enough people who require it or request it? And the first thing that comes to mind for me is, okay, so America is a big place. We have one of these units you can request and you can pay your own way to get to this unit. Of course, the argument against that is going to be that it only hurts the poor. If you are rich and you are transgender, you can pay to go to that housing unit. And if you are poor, you cannot. So I definitely think that it is a a topic uh, that requires some, I, I don't like the word experimentation, but some new thinking. And yet, you know, we're going to try a unit here and we're going to see how many people request to go into it. And we're going to see how expensive it is to run it. And we're going to see exactly how successful it is in order to keep people safe and treat them with dignity. Most of the time when I am writing back and forth with my pen pals, it's really just about being someone that they can listen, you know, someone who can listen to them, someone who can make them laugh, make them smile. You know, um, of course I like to share with them some kind of spiritual encouragement, but there are times when your pen pal needs something more practical. So if your pen pal is, you know, not in the right facility, if they are in danger because of of some other thing that is going on, you can advocate for them. And it's a good, it's a good thing to just educate yourself about the rights of prisoners. You never know when you're going to have a loved one who goes into prison or when you're going to have a pen pal that you do care about and you want to help keep them safe. So let me tell you, there is something called the Prison Rape Elimination Act or PREA. It is a federal law that was enacted in 2003, was created to eliminate sexual abuse in confinement. So they are providing federal funding for research programs, training, and technical assistance. They're trying to address the issue and uh, develop national standards. I don't know how effective this is. I mean, we're talking 19 years, and I haven't heard of a significant drop in violence. Um, From what I understand, there are uh, there is some evidence that PREA PREA I don't know if people pronounce it or if they just uh, read out the letters has lowered violence from staff toward inmates but I'm not sure that it has lowered any of the other violence you know a lot of people don't want to report violence because they don't want to be labeled as a snitch or as a rat and they don't want more pressure to come on them from other people. I live in Florida. Florida is one of only seven states that have not agreed to follow these standards. And I wonder if one of the reasons you would say that is because it sounds pretty vague. It says, hey, we're going to have training. We're going to have national standards. Let's have something specific. If you know someone who is being victimized behind bars, or if you are afraid that they will be victimized behind bars, you can write a letter to the warden. You can let them know, look, with respect, these are the things that are happening. And these are the things that I believe need to happen in order to keep um, this other person safe. Say that you are writing on their behalf and that you would be happy to work with the prison facility in order to develop a plan for health and safety. And that if that plan isn't followed, that you could be writing to um, 
other officials, your congressmen, to make a plan to find out what is the best way to make sure that this person's rights are not being violated. All right, so I think uh, I think the only other thing oh, that I wanted to mention was that when you are being sentenced, uh, you can make a request for which facility you want to move to. So there's a lot of things that you need to consider if you know someone who is going into prison or if you ever find yourself in that position someday, you want to consider how far away is this place from your family? What kind of programs do they have? What kind of security level do they have? Because you may want to be in a lower facility prison than a maximum security prison. You don't want to request to be sent somewhere just because it is closer to, uh, you know, where someone lives or something like that. Once you are already in a facility, it's definitely harder to move, but you can make those requests and just try and find out what you need to do in order to get the best response for that request. So I want to say thank you so much for listening today. You know, I'm, I've always, I think I'm a little more tuned in to prison news than I used to be since I've started writing back and forth to people. I will definitely let you know what is going on with Tay and how quickly he can get out of solitary confinement because I don't think it is where he should be. When you are in prison, you don't have that same right to um, be presumed innocent that you do when you're outside of prison. So that's why they can go ahead and put him in solitary confinement. They can also put you into solitary confinement for your own safety. That's something that happens with transgender inmates that they say, let's put this person into solitary confinement. And it ends up being a punishment towards them rather than a protection. But I will leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in again next week. Tell everyone you know about the podcast. And as always, find your own friends in prison.